0: It's my great pleasure to to welcome Martin Ganeri uh, back here after many years. Um, he is now the vice-regent of Blackfriars Hall, my, my old my old home, um, and director of the Centre for Christianity and Interreligious Dialogue at Heathrow College. And as we've just heard, his book on Ramanuja Indian Thought and Western Theism, the Vedanta of Ramanujas, just now coming, just about there, uh, will be published by Radclitch, and today he'll talk to us about the habit of prayer and prayer in a habit. Uh.
1: <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I, I can rather ambitiously, uh, do 20 handouts, which maybe oh, too many, so if you want 2 you <laughs> have a few, but uh, I mean, it's just, or even three. yeah, but uh, let's, uh, it's, it, it is, it's just, uh, just um, so there are two sides, the handouts, uh, as you'll see. Size, one side. Oh, no, you've got, oh you've got the top copy, sorry. Yeah, that's two sides. Thank you. Um, I mean, fortunately, uh, I haven't been able to come to any of the other seminars. I hope what I say will kind of fit in to the series, with the other two. But uh, and and I doubt that I'll, I'll speak for longer than, uh, well, 40 minutes, so there'll be some time for us to just put everything together, I guess, again, reflect on how this relates to the previous ones. So in this uh, seminar, I'd like to consider common or public prayer in the Catholic Christian tradition. The daily routine of common prayer is known as the hours of prayer or the divine office. And the perhaps rather odd sounding Latinate phrase divine office here just means the duty or work of divine worship. Such common prayer along with the celebration of the sacraments, especially the public celebration of the Eucharist or the Mass, forms a major part in the daily life of the Church, especially that of the clergy and the religious orders. In this seminar, I would like to consider what kind of activity this is, what it means for those taking part in it, how it's understood in the Catholic tradition. And in doing so, I'm going to focus in particular on one religious order. Guess which one? Uh, Yes, you guessed it, the Dominican order, since this is the order I belong to, but I should say that for the most part what I'm going to say about the Dominican Order is really representative of the Catholic tradition as a whole. In sum, as I hope we'll see as we go on, such common or public prayer is meant to be a daily activity which develops a good habit in those taking part. In the case of members of the Dominican Order, this is a good habit for those who already wear good habits the white habit of our Holy Father, St. Dominic, as we put it, hence the rather ridiculous title for this talk. Such prayer develops a good habit in those taking part, a good habit which in the Catholic tradition is further named as the virtue of religion. This understanding of common prayer is then part of a wider account of human action in terms of virtues, those patterns of activity which lead in their different ways, to human flourishing, or to the manifestation of what is good for human beings, qua-human beings. However, a further and particularly Christian understanding is that the virtue of Christian religion is understood to be primarily a Christological activity, the action of Christ himself, in which human beings freely share. This expresses the fundamental Christian understanding that it is through the action of Christ that human beings come to flourish and to achieve their good. Common prayer is thus understood to be the action of Christ in which the Church participates as Christ's mystical body. Now all of this, what is meant by this, will become clearer as we go on. So in this seminar I'm first going to say a little bit about the Dominican Order and about common prayer within it, then talk about the virtue of religion in general, And then finally look at how this is understood to be the action of Christ. So firstly then, Dominican tradition and common prayer. And on your handout, i have just given you a a quotation which we'll come to uh, from the Constitutions of the Order. So we'll look at that in a moment, under number one. First then, a little about the Dominican Order. The Dominican Order is otherwise known as the Order of Preachers or the Friars' Preachers. The Order was founded by St Dominic in the 13th century, and will in 2016 be celebrating its 800th anniversary. The first Dominican Priory here in Oxford was founded in 1221, the last Priory to be established by St. Dominic himself, with the third and present Priory being founded in 1921, now existing as Blackfriars Hall on St. Giles. Blackfriars is both a permanent private hall within Oxford University with 40 matriculated students, and a general studium or house of studies within the order, with Dominicans from different countries of the world and members of other religious orders studying there. The Dominican order is, we might say, semi-monastic in character. On the one hand, like monks, the order places a strong emphasis on the common life. Dominicans live together in priories, with common prayer, common meals and common chapter meetings. On the other hand, unlike monks, They take no vow to live in one place, but are assigned, as needs be, to different priories in the course of their lives. Moreover, at the heart of Dominican life, and the purpose for which the Order was founded, is the work of preaching, which involves a serious commitment to study, and then to teaching in universities or religious houses of study, as well as to other forms of preaching, such as liturgical celebrations, or in the context of other forms of pastoral care, such as parishes or university chaplaincies. A traditional way of characterising the distinctive nature of the Order's life and work is to say that it combines the contemplative and active life, contemplating God and divine revelation through prayer and study, but active in bringing the fruits of that contemplation to others through the activity of preaching and the different forms indicated. And a much-used motto of the Order is contemplari et contemplata alis tradere, to contemplate and to hand over the fruits of contemplation to others. Within this life, the common prayer of the Order is the communal celebration of the hours of prayer or divine office and of the sacrament of the Eucharist or the Mass. The hours of prayer is that daily schedule of prayer developed in the monastic tradition in which each day is framed and sanctified by prayer at the heart of this prayer is the chanting of the psalms accompanied by scriptural readings and other songs and prayers of petition for its part the eucharist in the catholic tradition is understood to be the celebration of the death of christ christ's death is understood to have been a sacrifice and the eucharist makes that sac- sacrifice present each time it is celebrated the eucharist is understood to be a sacrament an activity in which a spiritual reality is made present and effective, namely the real presence of Christ himself in the consecrated bread and wine and the saving effects of his sacrificial death. Thus, in the Dominican Priory here in Oxford, each day starts with the office of readings, in which long readings are taken from the Bible, the church fathers, from medieval and modern teachers and saints. This is immediately followed by morning prayer, then at lunchtime by midday prayer, then in the evening there is mass and evening prayer. In all these hours of prayer, the chanting of psalms and other readings and prayers takes place. The friars come together in the chapel to celebrate this common prayer, with members of the public able to attend and take part if they wish. And this common prayer frames and sanctifies a day which is otherwise largely taken up with study and teaching, with lectures and tutorials, as well as other common activities such as the meals and community meetings, as well as the whole business of running the hall itself, with all that that entails. Let me tell you, it entails quite a lot. (laughs) Now, members of the order take a vow of obedience to the master of the order according to the constitutions of the order, the constitutions being the code of law and good practice within the order. And within the constitutions, it talks about the importance and meaning of this common prayer in the order. The constitutions thus represent a first explanation of how common prayer is understood in the Dominican order. And so it's to the constitutions on prayer, and I now want to turn. And if you look at it, it's just a section from the constitutions that I've given you, and I'll just read that out. It is the expressed wish of St Dominic that the solemn celebration of the liturgy in common be accepted as one of the principal duties of our vocation. The mystery of salvation is present and active in the liturgy, especially in the Eucharist. The brothers should take part in the mystery, contemplate it, proclaim it through preaching to all, so that they may be incorporated into Christ through the sacraments of faith. In the liturgy, the brothers, together with Christ, glorify God for his eternal plan and for the wonderful workings of grace. They pray to the Father of mercies, for the whole church, for the needs and salvation of the whole world. Thus, the celebration of the liturgy is the centre and heart of our life, the basic source of our unity. Now, in the rest of this seminar, we shall see what understanding of common prayer is behind the ideas in this text. And in many ways, the rest of this seminar paper is a kind of commentary on this text. At this stage, however, we can perhaps just note that common prayer is depicted as an activity, a practice in the terms given in the introduction to this seminar series, a practice that is meant to bring together the two dimensions of the life of the order, namely the contemplation of God and of the things revealed and done by God, and secondly, the handing over of the fruits of that contemplation, in the work of preaching. Moreover, we can see how such prayer is Christological in character. It is a way of sharing in the action of Christ. So secondly then, the virtue of religion. To further our understanding of what such prayer means in the Dominican tradition, and indeed in the wider Catholic Church, we can now turn to the greatest of all Dominican teachers, the 13th century scholastic theologian St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas' account of what such common prayer means is contained within his account of religion in general and also later on in his account of what Christ achieves and hence the particular character of Christian, what, what the particular character of Christian religion is like. In his most influential work, the Summa Theologiae, Aquinas discusses religion in general in the second part of the work, where he deals with human acts. The second part of the summer is located in the middle of the work as a whole, in which the first part discusses God and creation, and the third part discusses Christ and the saving work of Christ and the Christian religion in the form of the sacraments. Thus, what counts as good or bad action for human beings is to be located within the wider understanding that human beings are created by God and exist wholly as beings created by God and also that human beings are saved, or we could say recreated by God in Christ. In the second part of the summer, Aquinas locates religion within his account of the cardinal virtue of justice. The definition of the virtue of justice, Aquinas states, following Aristotle, is, and this, you have, with each of these things, you'll have it kind of quoted. I mean, on your your sheet, uh, a habit. He says the the virtue of justice is a habit whereby a man renders to each one his due by a constant and perpetual will. As we can see, this defines justice as a habit, and by habit Aquinas means something a bit different from a compulsive way of acting. For Aquinas, a habit is, as he says, a disposition whereby that which is disposed is disposed well or ill and this in regard to itself or in regard to another. Thus, health is a habit. So a habit here is simply a disposition or settled way of being or acting, which can be good or bad, but which makes it easier to act in a certain way. And virtue, for its part, is a good habit, which is intentional in nature. A a virtue is a habit by which a person acts well. It is a type of human activity that is voluntary in nature, involving the intellect and will. It is a type of activity that is firmly established, and it is a type of activity that is good. Thus Aquinas defines virtue as, as you've got, a good quality of mind by which one lives righteously, of which no one can make bad use. And as he further explains, and again you have the, the quotation, the end of virtue since it is a habit of action, is action. But it must be observed that some habits of action are always referred to evil as vicious habits. Others are sometimes referred to good, sometimes to evil. For instance, opinion is referred both to the true and to the untrue. Whereas virtue is a habit which is always referred to good. And so the distinction of virtue from those habits which are always referred to evil is expressed by the words by which we live righteously, and its distinction from those habits which are sometimes directed unto good, sometimes unto evil, in the words of which no one makes bad use. A virtue is then a good habit of action, a disposition to act well, which brings about what is good for us and good for others. A virtue makes us live well and flourish as human beings. Virtues make us good human beings and they make us happy human beings. In the case of the virtue of justice, as the definition makes clear, it is a firmly established but always voluntary habit of action that works for the good of others in giving them what is their due. And religion as a virtue, and as part of the virtue of justice, means giving God his due, by giving him the reverence and honour which is due to him as the creator and governor of the world. And hence, as its saviour, something that is manifest in different acts of religion, such as devotion, contemplation, and meditation, petitionary prayer, sacrifice, vows, acts of praise, and so on. Or, as Aquinas puts it, uh, and again you have the quotation under the virtue of religion on your your sheet, as stated above, a virtue is is that which makes a person and his or her action good. Therefore, we should say that every action belongs to a virtue. Now it is evident that to render a person his or her due is a good action, since rendering a person his or her due establishes the proper relationship or order between oneself and the other, and this is a good thing. Since then it belongs to religion to pay due honour to someone, namely God, it is evident that religion is a virtue. So religion is then a settled way of acting, a giving to God what is due to him, which orders us to God in the way that we should be as human beings and which therefore makes us good as human beings. Practising and growing in the virtue of religion perfects us as human beings and brings us spiritual joy as human beings. As Aquinas points out, acts of religion are meant for our benefit as human beings, they're not meant for God's benefit, since God stands in need of nothing. Rather, the practice of religion perfects the human mind by ordering it to God. This is a, the second small quotation under the virtue of religion. Where he says, we pay God honour and reverence, not for his sake, because he is of himself full of glory, to which no creature can add anything, but for our own sake, because by the very fact that we revere and honour God, our mind is subjected to him wherein its perfection consists. Acts of religion, such as offering sacrifice or songs of praise, are there not because God needs them, but because it helps us as human beings acknowledge God more fully, adhere to him with greater devotion, and so that our minds are indeed united to God. So within this account of religion given by Aquinas, the practice of common prayer is an exercise in the virtue of religion, which is itself part of the exercise of the virtue of justice. Common prayer gives God what is due to him, and it perfects us in so doing. Yet for Aquinas, the practice of the virtue of religion also reaches out towards the good of others. Actions carried out for the good of others are in effect part of a wider action of showing reverence for God. In specifically Christian terms, love of neighbour is part of what love of God entails. And In fact, the practice of every virtue comes into the range of religion, since in their different ways they exercise all-order human beings to God and show reverence for or honour God, either explicitly or implicitly. As Aquinas puts it in the final quotation on the first side, religion has two kinds of acts. Some are its proper and immediate acts, which it produces directly, and by which man is directed to God alone, for instance, sacrifice, adoration and the like. But it has other acts, which it produces through the medium of other virtues, such as showing compassion or generosity to others, which it commands directing them to the honour of God, because the virtue which is concerned with the end commands the virtues which are concerned with the means the end being the honour of God. We can also say that direct acts of religion, such as prayer and sacrifice, are themselves also often directed towards the good of others. Thus, for example, petitionary prayer involves praying for others. All petitionary prayer shows reverence to God, since it acknowledges God as the governor of the world. Praying for others does so while also being an act of love for others, because aimed at their good. Now, returning to the Dominican Constitutions, we can see how some of this is reflected in the text. As the third third paragraph put it, the common prayer is meant to glorify God for his eternal plan and for the wonderful workings of grace. It is the context in which the friars should pray to the Father of mercies for the whole church, for the needs and salvation of the whole world. Here then the practice of religion shows reverence to God and by extension reverences God by praying for the good of others. Likewise, in the exhortation in the second paragraph of that quotation, uh, the exhortation to the contemplation and proclamation of the mystery of salvation, which represents the two dimensions of Dominican life, Common prayer is how reverence is shown firstly to God directly and then shown more widely through teaching the truth of that mystery to others. So the practice of common prayer within the Dominican Order and within the Catholic Church as a whole can be understood within the count given of the virtue of religion. Common prayer and religion in general is a good habit which leads to human flourishing and good. It is a good practice. Well, thirdly, then, I want to introduce the Christological dimension of Christian prayer and Christian religion. We have already seen that within the Dominican Constitutions, Christ and the work of Christ is repeatedly mentioned as integral to the understanding of an exhortation to common prayer. Keeping with Aquinas for the time being, the features of religion in general are applied by Aquinas specifically to Christ, in the third part of the summer, where Aquinas gives an account of the saving work of Christ. Christ, as Aquinas says, the high priest of Christian religion, because the function of a priest is to mediate between God and human beings, and this Christ does most perfectly. As Aquinas puts it, and again, it's on the other side, the second side of your handout, the office proper to a priest is to be a mediator between God and his people. In one way because he bestows divine things on the people and secondly because he offers up the people's prayers to God and in a manner makes satisfaction to God for their sins. Now this is most befitting to Christ, for through him are God's gifts bestowed on people. Moreover, he reconciled the human race to God. <coughs> in Christian religion, Christ is also said to be the fountain head. <coughs> the fountainhead of the priesthood of all Christian priests. The Christian priest acts not in his own right, but in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. Is Likewise, Christ's death is also the true sacrifice of the Christian religion, manifesting most perfectly what sacrifice in general represents. Again, as Aquinas puts it, a sacrifice, properly speaking, is something done to honour God, as it is due, And to be pleasing to him. Therefore, Augustine says that a true sacrifice is every good action done so that we may adhere to God in love. (coughs) Christ offered himself up for us in the Passion. And this voluntary enduring of the Passion was most pleasing to God because done out of love. Therefore, it is manifest that Christ's Passion was a true sacrifice. And then thirdly, the principal rites of the Christian religion, the sacraments, are instruments by which the saving effects of Christ's sacrifice are communicated to human beings. Again, Aquinas, now sacramental graces seem to be ordained principally to two things, namely to take away the defects consequent on past sins, and further to perfect the soul in things pertaining to divine worship in regard to Christian religion. Christ delivered us from our sins principally through his passion. Likewise, by his passion, he inaugurated the rites of the Christian religion by offering himself an oblation and a sacrifice to God. So through his own act of religion, and through the rites of religion, Christian religion, Christ thus establishes human beings in Christian religion and thereby enables them to practice the virtue of religion fully being made able to reverence God fully by sharing in the reverence that Christ himself has shown. This Christological understanding of Christian religion continues to underlie modern Catholic accounts of Christian religion, including the hours of prayer or divine office, and it is to the account given in the teaching of the Second Vatican Council, which in the middle of the 20th century Brought about the reform of the practice of religion in the Catholic Church and to modern church documents which implement the teaching of the Council, <coughs> they now want to turn. One very important document here is the General Instruction on the Liturgy of the Hours, promulgated in 1971, just after the end of the Second Vatican Council. This document serves as a guide to how the hours of prayer are to be understood and to be celebrated in the Catholic Church as a whole, including modern Dominican priories. And here we find reiterated the Christological character of all Christian religion. Now, they've got a quotation from this under Christ and Common Prayer and the Teaching (coughs) of the Modern Catholic Church. And it says, Christian prayer draws its dignity from its sharing in the filial relationship of the only begotten Son to the Father, The prayer he expressed in his earthly life, with his own words, in the name of and for the salvation of the entire human race, he continues to address to his Father in the whole Church and in her members. This document draws upon the authority of one of the major teaching documents of the Second Vatican Council, namely the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. The following passage from the Constitution, which I shall give you in a moment, has become a reference point for the modern account of the Christological character of Christian religion, and especially for the Christological character of the hours of prayer. So as the the document says, and this is the second two paragraphs in that kind of subsection, (laughs) Jesus Christ, High Priest of the New and Eternal Covenant, taking on human nature, introduced into this earthly exile, that hymn which is sung throughout all ages in the halls of heaven. He attaches to himself the entire community of mankind and has them join him in singing his divine song of praise. For he continues his priestly work through the Church. The Church, by celebrating the Eucharist and by other means, especially the celebration of the Divine Office, is ceaselessly engaged in praising the Lord and interceding for the salvation of the entire world. The divine office, in keeping with ancient Christian tradition, is so devised that the whole course of the day and night is made holy by the praise of God. Therefore, when this wonderful song of praise is correctly celebrated by priests and others deputed to it by the Church, or by the faithful, meaning the whole membership of the Church, praying together with the priest in the approved form, then it is truly the voice of the Bride herself addressed to a Bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his body, addresses to the Father. Now, for the Catholic tradition as a whole, a central image that expresses the relationship between Christ and humanity and hence expresses the character of Christian religion, is that of head and body. Christ is the head, and his church is his mystical body. What Christ the head does, he does for and in union with his body, and what his body does, it does towards or together with its head. And this is reflected in the passage from the Constitution on the, on the sacred Liturgy above. All acts of Christian religion, are thus under, understood to be those of Christ the Head and of Christ's mystical body. In different ways, they are human acts of religion, which share in Christ's own act of religion. As I mentioned earlier, in the heart, at the heart of the hours of prayer, is the chanting or recitation of the Psalms. In the Christian st- reading, the Psalms have traditionally been un- interpreted as prophecies of Christ. As pointing to and finding their fullest meaning in the coming of the Messiah. Traditional exegesis of the Psalms in the work of the Fathers and Scholastic theologians, medieval scholastic theologians, has tended further to interpret the Psalms as either Christ the head, praying for his for humanity, his body, or prayers of the body of Christ to or with its head. And in the modern celebration of the hours of prayer. This remains a way of understanding what it means to pray the psalms in the Catholic tradition. The general instruction on the liturgy itself takes us back to St. Augustine, whose commentaries on the psalms have been of immense importance in shaping the understanding and use of the psalms in the Catholic tradition over the centuries. And as St. Augustine puts it, and this is your final passage on your sheet, God could give men no greater gift that to make his word, through whom, through whom he created all things, their head, that they in turn should become his members. The Son of God has become the Son of Man, one God with the Father, one man with men, so that when we speak to God in prayer, the Son is not separated from the Father. When the body of the Son prays, the head is not separated from the body. It is the one Saviour of his body, our Lord Jesus Christ, who prays for us, Prays in us and is prayed to by us. He prays for us as our priest. He prays in us in us as our head. He is prayed to us as our God, and is recognised therefore voices in him, and his, which let us recognise therefore our voices in him. It should be and his voice in us. One. The consequence of this image and of the reality it points to is that Christian religion, especially common prayer, should by its very nature serve to express and deepen the bonds of unity for those taking part, since its celebration continually renews the idea that there is one head and one body acting together. As the passage from the Constitution and the Sacred Liturgy has indicated, Christian religion is also carried out both for the good of those taking part and also for the good of the entire world, for whom the sacrifice of the Mass is offered and for whom petitionary prayer is also offered. Christian religion is naturally enough an expression of the virtue of religion in general. The teaching found in these documents and this understanding of what it means to pray the Psalms in the common prayer is also reflected in the Dominican Constitutions in its modern edition that we've been considering when it talks of the mystery of salvation being present and active in the liturgy, and of people being incorporated into Christ through the sacraments of faith, or that the brothers, together with Christ, glorify God for his eternal plan and for the wonderful workings of grace, or of praying for the needs and salvation of the whole world, and of the prayer as being, as it puts it, the basic source of our unity. So all these ideas there are kind of reflected um, in in the, the the modern version of the Constitution of the Order. Now then, kind of just a brief word and conclusion. The common or public prayer of the Catholic Church is then understood to be an exercise in the virtue of religion, which is further understood to be a sharing in the saving action of Christ. And as such, the practice of religion is intended to bring about human good or human flourishing, both that of those who carry out acts of religion themselves and that of others for whom acts of religion are offered or who receive the benefit of the practice of other virtues, such as compassion or generosity. And the practice of common prayer in the Dominican Order is one way in which this is manifested, but also related to the particular work and aims of the Order to contemplate and to hand over the fruits of contemplation to others. Now, in terms of the comparative concerns of this seminar series, we can see something of what is probably common to most religious traditions, as well as what is particular to the Christian tradition. I'm very briefly put, for it is probably common to all religious traditions to reflect on religion as an activity, a practice, as being something which is, for the good of human beings, qua human beings, however the human beings are understood as well as a practice that has to be cultivated over time and with much effort. On the other hand, as we've seen, the Christological dimension is a particular thing in the Christian tradition and is certainly fundamental to the understanding of religion in the Christian tradition. Okay, thank you. To to have anything else that happened? <laughs>
2: it's interesting, isn't it, that in historical critical terms, which because it's very much a studying tradition that you belong to, the Psalms are actually the Jewish prayer book of the Second Temple. Yeah. So the Christology, really, I'm going to be very provocative. Yeah. Is completely irrelevant. Actually, they're Jewish. Jewish people. Someone like Lionel blew off, yes, I've heard him say that um, you know prayer is using words to work on yourself. Yeah. And I've also had it said of the Psalms, which I always thought was quite helpful, that since many of them are very controversial in what they ask of God in the destruction of one's enemies, they give you permission to hate.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean. How does that all fit in?
1: Well, I think I mean, as you, as you know, there kind of there's a there's a, a, a variety of interpretation of the scriptures. Uh, so I mean, the historical critical dimension is only one way of approaching the scriptures, and it itself is you know it is is under has become less important uh, as a as a one way of approaching the scriptures. So I mean, I think we should have to talk about kind of a polyvalency. Uh, in terms of interpretation of the scriptures. My, I mean the, the, the point here is is of course what does it mean uh for the, the scriptures to be received in the in the Christian church? What does it mean for them to be part the central part of the activity of common prayer? And it's and it's with with it what it means is that they're uh, understood to be the prayer of Christ. I mean they've got the, these different voices that, that Augustine talks about, the kind of pro, uh, of of sometimes Christ praying for us, sometimes the body praying. Um, so that that's a kind of what it's really kind of tr- focusing on what they actually mean uh, in the Christian tradition of of prayer. Um, and that sits alongside then historical critical readings. sits alongside the way the psalms are used in Jewish prayer uh, and 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 other other ways in which they've been received down the ages. Um, in terms of how the, the, the problematic nature of, of, of some of the psalms, um, um, and what one guide, interestingly, that Saint Augustine also gives in his his book *De Doctrina Christiana* on the teach, Christian teaching, when he in his very which a work in which he's very much concerned with how we are to understand and teach. The Scriptures, with all the difficult passages within them, he, he establishes a kind of hermeneutical rule um, that um that the Scriptures we can know that the Scriptures are rightly understood when they speak to us about love of God and love of neighbour. So this this is um, you know one way. I mean, this is this is obviously in the world of patristic and and scholastic approaches to Scripture, which makes sense within. The, the kind of the, the nature of the reception I've been talking about. Um, one way in which the scriptures can speak to people within the Christian tradition um, as God's voice, uh, but make sense of all the different passages. Um, but leave leaving that aside, then um, um, the the I mean just. Uh, in terms of other ways of approaching the Psalms uh, and the different uh, moods and uh, words found within them. Um, partly a general point uh, that's made, and again it's a point which is made in the, the general instruction, and again you know, the reason for looking at these documents is that to the Catholic Church is very good at, at having documents of them sure I don't <laughs> think, can they, uh, but but it does mean that you can actually point to something and say well this is this is an articulated representative way of understanding something uh, within the Catholic tradition. Um and it you know, it, and, it, and one th- one thing point it makes uh, is that um, when when members of the church are praying the psalms um, we, it's answering the question well what, what how can I pray the psalms when Know, sometimes they are pray songs of praise where I don't really feel very praising myself you know, I mean the, the psalms of the lament where I feel quite happy and it, and it's you know, it's uh it, the point it makes in reply you know it, is that this this is the the prayer of the church as a whole and it reflects the different ways in which the church prays and that sometimes the church prays the whole in praise, sometimes in thanksgiving, sometimes in lament. So one's joining with the church as a whole uh, in that aspect, and I suppose by wider extension of that, then one can talk about you know and again, this is a very kind of Christian way of looking at it, but kind of you know a lot of the more difficult places of being reflecting something of the kind of the whole kind of agony and complexity of human life, especially as fallen human life uh, with all its dimensions um as one way of looking at some of the more difficult passages, but I mean, the the, the 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 very the more you know, kind of there are some very belligerent parts of the Psalms and and and, and particular parts of the Psalms which which are problematic and, and in effect, uh, one is really, I mean, unless one adopts it, a kind of historical approach and all the kind of difficulties and challenges that uh, that has, one it one is led back to the way that the, the scriptures have been used and interpreted in the, the church from the very beginning, which is more along the lines of, of St. Augustine and along the lines of this Christological reading, uh, and to, to think, well, what does it mean for the church, what does it mean to me as a member of the church to pray this? How, do I, how can I understand this passage uh, within uh, the scriptures as a whole as, as being in some way the unified word of God yeah, what does it mean to how does that that, that sense of the, the scripture the whole being the voice the, w- the voice of one God with one consistent you know, to divine will, uh what, how does that make me reinterpret some passages? Um, however, you know, historically they've they've risen. Can um, I have
2: permission to yeah. Just continue? Yeah, yes, certainly yeah, of course. I don't course. To know well yeah. to say anything else, but to follow this this up a bit. Yeah. Um, in the context of India, when certain Roman Catholics decided experimentally that they would use readings from the Hindu yeah. scriptures instead of readings from the uh, Hebrew scriptures for the first part of the liturgy, so in other words, seeing that in the Indian context <coughs> there was there an existing tradition which might well flow into the New Testament and looked at through the eyes of Christ as I understand it and you're not an expert on this but you will be uh, (coughs) the Vatican stopped that happening and said it was inappropriate now if it's appropriate to use Judaism which we know from historical reasons because Jesus was a Jew that's what's happened how do we justify in fact it isn't appropriate in India to see the existing tradition there as the natural flow in in liturgical terms
1: yeah, well, I'll ask that two ways. What one is to to say what, in a sense, what what is the uh, what 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 is it kind of what what I imagine is is the official understanding of of the response. Uh, the other is to make a more kind of kind of personal, I suppose, kind of answer that because I mean it is an area where I think there's an invitation still to. Um, Practice further exploration. Um, now, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, what, one one way of answering that, and, 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 and I mean, this is a distinction which is made within the the Christian Church, I and mean, particularly, I mean, I'm not saying anyone else should accept this, but I mean, it's, it's kind of the way things were understood: is that within the, in the Christian Church, the 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 Old Testament is understood as part of public revelation, uh, which is. Received and and completed by the New Testament, so that that and that's a unique relationship, as, as the as the Catholic Church in its modern reflection on its relation with the Jews understands that We with and the Catholic reflection is that the Jew the Jew Jews don't form a different religion to Christianity. Uh, it's the same religion, um, and so that you know, kind of it's reflected in, in structures that you know that that. that the the, the council for dialogue with other religions doesn't include the Jews. It's not kind of because so there's that, that, that a very there's a particular internal understanding of a relationship, um, and so that that's one that's one way in which one can understand kind of um, that 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 um, uh, it might not be deemed appropriate to equate uh, scriptures from outside of the non Old Testament scriptures with, with the, having the same status as the Old Testament. However, um, you know, the there is uh, another way of looking at it, uh, which is that uh, there can be uh, an engagement with with everything really. Uh, I mean, again, it's these these things we're always looking at, Sometimes it just annoy other people to to put it this way. But kind of so we're, we're, we're we're kind of a char kind of group I mean, kind of and I think kind of we can speak you know maturity to each other. I mean kind of that you know it that that um, the we we look at everything else from our own tradition. It is it, kind of slightly instrumentalizing everything. I mean kind of but we're looking at it kind of from our own point of view. And um, we're, and and so I mean I, I mean, it, it's i mean I would expect as a christian to to look at things from a christian point of view and it, i would expect other people hindus uh, muslims uh whatever to 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 um to look at Christianity in a sense from their point of view and to, you know it le- in another way in other ways instrumentalize Christianity if there's going to be a positive engagement with it um but uh, so that the, i mean there is always there is within the tradition uh a kind of i mean what, one paper I was given the other day was just taking, looking back to the New Testament, from the New Testament to Fides et Ratio, which is a, an encyclical done by John Paul II in 1997, Look, looking back at, and arguing for a continuous history of Christian engagement with non-Christian thought, that Christianity has never existed outside of that engagement, and the expression of Christian theology, and in, indeed the expression of Christian spirituality, has never existed outside of that kind of engagement. You, you constant, the Christian tradition has constantly taken on new identities uh, you know, through those different engagements with kind of the uh, uh, with the New Testament and with, with Greek or Roman culture. Uh, you know, there's a lot a lot of work done on that nowadays on the way Paul especially seems to engage with Greek or Roman culture. Uh, then through Augustine, the fathers engaging with 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 um Greek thought again and and Augustine in the t- on the t- the same work that i referred to he puts forward a whole program of how you understand you engage with that thought through to the scholastic theologians and jewish and, C- and muslim thought and then then into the w- that, that that then moves into the 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 theory from the um especially from the end of the the um the fifteenth century into a wider engagement with uh, the, the great cultures of the East, and I mean that, so so that it's wholly really within the logic of the tradition uh, to continue that process of engagement uh, with with um, other um, sacred texts, with other ways of thinking, um, and and so you yeah, know I think that there's a kind of a as, as a kind of argument really to that kind of position, but you can see how you know there is a a sensitivity there, a sensitivity there, uh, because of, of of a particular understanding of the way uh that what what scriptures the Christian tradition accepts as being public revelation, particular revelation. Um I mean I th- I think I think it's just I mean the, the third thing is just well uh I think there just was a bit of a reaction to a lot of the, the things that took place and, and unfortunately um I mean I think uh uh, we, we continue to live in, in a, a time when uh, that reaction is t- is taking place. And, I mean, I maybe hope that there could be a relaxing of that <laughs> and a bit of re-exploration. But there's obviously a very complicated situation. I mean, as we know, kind of Christian engagement with uh, Hindu culture in India has become a very complicated thing in the mod- in re- more recently, and as all uh, you know, kind of whether it's actually. Acceptable for Christianity to engage with Hindu culture by appropriating its symbols and its scriptures is a question which is, you know, not only raised by Christians but also raised by Hindus as well. So I mean, it's become.
2: And Jews don't see themselves as part of Christianity. Oh, absolutely so not. The no. there in yeah. That case. No, there's a
1: massive asymmetry in that understanding, <laughs> and, and that's constantly a kind of source. I mean, it's why, why? It's, it's rea- I mean, c- why Christian-Jewish relations are constantly being g- kind of grating because there is, I mean, the, the there is often such a difference of understanding, and I think uh, it requires such a lot of of of, of te- stepping back to understand why there is such a conflict of understanding. The kind of um,
3: yeah, I, I very much like this way you've used religion throughout, religion in the sense of religio to link, and, and in, in some ways addressing <laughs> the, the question of the use of the psalms. I think that it, the use of the psalms is, in the Christian tradition, links back with another tradition, and tradition understood ultimately as a transmission which always involves a transformation. Um, but it also occurs to me from my own practice in a, a Zen monastery and coming up with some of these same. I remember when I I entered and I struggled with the translation that was being used of the Sino-Japanese. And then one morning at about four in the morning, we were chanting together and I just <laughs> listened and realized that it was a medium by which we all came, we were linked together by our voice, that it was not the words, it was the mech- what, how they served as a mechanism of uh-huh. linking or understanding the implicit linkages among all of us. So I think there might be, <coughs> to kind of bring your question and your answer together, there's, I think, this um, this linking. But, and this is, so my qu- one of my questions comes at this intersection, uh-huh. and f- reading through, you know, particularly recently, Thomas <coughs> Merton and seeing how the office in the through his writings in my understanding of other <laughs> christian traditions through his writings the camaldolese and the uh, carthusians who have greatly abbreviated or have kind of restricted this um, the chanting of the psalms and the office in order to make way for silence and so when we're speaking about the offices you have, it seems to be very much in when you speak about the monastic tradition in the Benedictine tradition, and there are these other traditions which really think of what, where we really come together is in silence. And that's my question, is what do you think about that? Because that seems to me most recently where the inter-religious dialogue comes from my experience. The monastic practice, particularly yeah. the monastic practice in silence, seems to be what's common. Uh when we leave out the interpretations of it being this way or that way, the practice itself and practice as coming together, as harmonizing ourselves, of linking Uh parts of ourselves within ourselves and to other people and to the rest of (coughs) creation is really where (coughs) there's harmony.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's a very good point to make. And uh, um, I I suppose... um, I mean silence isn't it? i mean i haven't really kind of talked about it very much but talking about silence is kind of the opposite <laughs> but, uh, kind of, uh, but 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 si- the idea of the sacred silence as an integral part of the common prayer you know is is, is, in, is, is very much there i mean it's kind of temptation i mean obviously i presented a an ideal picture i mean you know, the, the, the theory as it were of their practice and obviously in the, in reality you know it's a matter of measuring up to the pra the ideal in as well as you can and and i think yeah you know, the, the 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 temptation in busy life is actually for the sacred silence to get squeezed out mm. but we, and we so what happens in dominican priories is that can become, can can revisit this and kind of how we can make safeguard the sacred silence within the liturgy and it's supposed to be places where the, the, the silence is preserved but i think i think you're right as a common as a kind of common activity uh, then it is a very important moment of encounter. I mean, it, I suppose to my mind, it's um, is what is one of those actions which allows a multiplicity of meaning to it, doesn't it? I mean, the same way that, you know, in terms of ethical practice, you know, there can be a convergence of ethical <laughs> practice, even though there are different ways of understanding the the, the purpose and the, the the meaning of that that kind of ethical action. But it, it, you know, the, the fact that you're doing the same thing, as you can be very powerful, and it can be so much um, a, a better a vehicle for in, inter-religious engagement, inter-religious cooperation than uh, the level of, of doctrine where the kind of the difference is, is so apparent. Um, but no, as a religious <laughs> practice, silence, yeah, I think is immensely. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's a, a, a very obvious and very good things
3: and it seems that in these practices although i'm I'm less familiar with some of the hindu practices than i am with the christian and the zen practices which is they c- it kind of all arises from a monastic practice or some degree of ascetic practice and that we begin to get these disturbances in the heart we have to go through these very complicated philosophical reconciliations when we step outside of the monastic practice or kind of outside of the silence and begin breaking it up With words, or and of course, there's a relationship in your tradition between the contemplation and the activity, but that can be done in some notion of silence, and it's only when we step out of that that we have some of the difficulty. And uh, most of the the monks I know don't uh, are from the various traditions are able to come together quite easily and practice together at like the Gethsemane encounters in Kentucky, or so I wonder. Your opinion about whether some of these issues, and kind of linking back to the Psalms, is it's only when things are said, and then we need to begin interpreting what is said, where the problem comes in in practice, and that the habit of silence is really.
1: Yeah, um Yeah, no, but I mean, I think I think that it's true. I mean, I think kind of, uh, but I suppose I mean it goes back, I suppose, to what we were talking about, but earlier on, I mean, it it takes you have to be listening to the i mean uh, to be able to create a context where people can listen to the differences and and the deeply problematic of things of what people say <laughs> i mean the different w- w- whether contained in the sacred scriptures or contained in in the 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 um the the traditions um is 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 obviously immensely important i mean i think i think a really mature kind of encounter uh between religions has got to be able to uh, engage with all that as well, rather than try and avoid it. I mean, it, it but it does take a great deal, I mean, you know, t- it takes you know, a, g- a great deal of maturity of, it, of uh, being able to accept that there are kind of the, the, the differences and that, you know, there the, are the, the, the things that are irreconcilable. I mean, just, um, and to, to the, I mean, just, I mean, just, I mean, it's growth and understanding of why people do say and do things. But, uh, but I mean, I think that yeah, I mean, not, not that doesn't take away from the, the, the point. I mean, I think that what you're saying a bit about the you know, common act, religious action, silence, I mean, I think that has become recognized as a very powerful uh, point of encounter, and often, in many ways, the only the, the, the point of encounter that we can have when we can't do anything else. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh,
0: taking off on silence. With uh, this notion of contemplation, yeah. and uh, <coughs> my image of contemplation is something that one does in silence. But then it kind of it occurs to me that uh, perhaps the the practice of the office uh, what is it called the office of prayer yeah. uh, in community is also. I, this is a question: Is it understood as as a form of contemplation, because you said Dominican order is about contemplation and then the sharing of the fruits of contemplation. So since the prayer is so central, does that mean that this is part of the act of contemplation? Is it understood that way, or is contemplation something you do by yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the the difficulties is that (coughs) so many of these terms have a broader and narrower meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and and within Christian Catholic schemes of prayer, then contemplation can be used properly as a, a particular form of prayer. Mm. Uh, whereas in in terms of the motto of the order, Contemplaria, Contemplatio adiuvat is being used as a, in a very general way, mm. uh, which, which um, includes both the prayer as as said together. Uh, and and the the study has done uh, otherwise. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole whole business of the study has done otherwise as an act of contemplation.
0: Mm-hmm. The life of contemplation.
1: Yeah. So it's a kind of broad term uh, of you know just of, of. I mean, one could use. I, know, I mean, you could use it. I mean, the problem is what you move away from using the the term contemplation, we have to break it down to a number of, of yeah. things which are kind of grouped together in that. I mean, both is both the kind of. Meditation, reflection, mm. reception—you know—serious se- study in terms of an, you know, kind of both, uh, kind of more meditative, uh, lexio divina of, uh, sacred mm. reading of the scriptures, commentary on the scriptures, uh, but also the kind of disputatio, the kind of the, the kind of mm. uh, um, argumentative uh, unders- approach to study. So all, all that would be. Classified and under the broad definition of contemplation, mm-hmm. but there is also a narrower definition of contemplation, yeah. which is you know, is is the kind of prayer which is done, you know, in in is, is sort of a a, si- a silent and and subjective mm. activity, uh, which you know, when there is a kind of very very uh, profound engagement with the divine presence. Mm.
4: To follow yeah. up on that,
1: can you, ta- can you just um, tell us something
4: more about the, this emotional spectrum? Uh, uh, you know, that is there <coughs> in, in such a practice. What is one supposed to, or should, or does feel when one prays? You know, uh, so in, 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 it is a question how one should yeah. pray, but not in yeah. terms of what one should pray, yeah. but. Really, how does he go, uh, how does one go on about it in, in, in its mind and what, in its body? Yeah. Right.
1: What, uh, yeah. Well, I suppose there are two, two ways. One, one is um, just in terms of the kind of common prayer, mm-hmm. uh, and especially the kind of the, the prayer. Uh, I mean, if, as I said, kind of the, the, com- the arrows of prayer uh, divide up the day in a certain way, and you and have the, the heart of the psalms. Uh, and then there are particular canticles taken, songs from the, the the, the New Testament, uh, and from the Old Testament, and and uh, readings, uh, and and. Um, the the whole thing is structured to actually work as def- to to structure emotions, you know, as you might one might mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that uh, both, um, I mean the psalms themselves, as uh, the kind of, Peggy Kennaway, kind of will, will know from her. Historical critical study, the Gatung the kind of the, the f- form critical study of the kind of psalms, uh, divides the psalms into different um, types. So some psalms of thanksgiving, of praise, of lament. So the psalms already, mm. you know, are, are you know, and it doesn't. I mean, it, that could way of understanding, dividing them up, without being using the modern terminology, uh, has has always been present. I mean, you find some you know, remarkable parallels to modern. Uh, form critical study of the public psalms in, in mm. the Protestant writings. Um, so the psalms themselves have a bit, you know, naturally have different moods to them, mm. different uh, emotions attached to them. Uh, and and so they're, they're selected, uh, grouped together, you know, within the day on, on that basis. So I mean, the psalms of praise mm. tend to be first thing in the morning. Thanksgiving later on in the day, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the two, the two, the morning office and the, the evening office, Lords and, and Vespers, uh, in the more Latin kind of terminology, are yeah, regarded as the two hinges of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of in that way. Uh, that patterning, you know, goes on with all the selection of the other things, and likewise throughout the the, the, le- the year, because we have a kind of liturgical year, mm-hmm. which in a, in a kind of mirrors the kind of um, the, 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 the history of salvation. Or, or you know, uh, uh, particularly focused in in christ's life um then um that there are periods of the year which are more about celebration mm-hmm. uh, and rejoicing uh, and there are periods of the year which are more about lamentation and and penance and so the kind of the 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 psalms and the readings and everything else are kind of you know with the yearly cycle are kind of mirror that so mm-hmm. the, the common prayer itself then uh, does provide an, a, a framework for guiding people's emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you're a member of the mystical body, praying the the prayer with the whole church, with Christ the head and the whole so church. you are supposed to so take on the yeah. On so it should image. be mirrored. Now, I mean, obviously this is this is an ideal thing. I mean, that there mm-hmm. is that there's always the question of that that the external act and the internal reception of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the thing is about um, as with with all acts of. of Religion i mean certainly the with this whole public prayer in all its different ways and sacraments you know it's, it's a it's a, it's a it, the, 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 the 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 virtue of it is is gradually becoming integrated into the mm-hmm. the way it's understood and the reality that it should be um so now that that co- the common prayer then does guide people's uh, emotions and should form them they should be formed in the mm-hmm. prayer more and more as they go on and it requires then uh, you know, intellectual and effective engagement mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And, you, and it only works insofar as you are attentive uh, and, and uh, conform the mind and the will mm-hmm. to this prayer that's going on. I mean, a lot of people can attend this common prayer and actually it be kind of a complete irrelevance. I mean, that, and that would be the difference. In a way, that would be regarded as a vice, a bad mm-hmm. habit. The difference between you know, d- habits and... Practices are kind of part of this seminar series. Well, you know, if the practice of the virtue of religion is to do it in the way as I've set it out, you know, a, the, a, a vicious way of doing it, mm-hmm. uh, would, I mean, at one extreme, would be do it for completely opposite kind of reasons. And, but but uh, it, to be inattentive and unengaged with it is actually really to bring it down to a vice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, individually, in other aspects of the prayer, then, I mean, it is uh, the whole uh I- emotions that are, are there part, part of the engagement of all prayer um, is is, um, is is as it were all, all prayer ex- exposes where we are as individuals um, and, and and part of the the, the the purpose of prayer is is a purification of of desires it's going be both in terms of of awareness and and response. The, the presence of God, mm-hmm. uh, but also a response, uh, you know, an attunement to the will of God. I mean, Ber- Saint Bernard of Clairvaux and his great commentary on the Song of Songs, he you know, talks about the mystical marriage—the kind of theme of—and of, uh, you know, and, uh, the mystical marriage, where the, the will of the individual soul is attuned to the will of Christ. So that's something—an an end point, as it were, to get to. Um, uh, so, so that's that's. The, 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 the kind of the other that the, the wider effective side of this course is there I mean kind of and, and mm-hmm. I mean all prayer whatever it was liturgical prayer or kind of private prayer you know is going to have you know that, that, that the, the challenge of the ex- exposure where an individual I- is at in terms of his or her relationship with the divine mm-hmm. and, and the divine will uh, and, and should lead to com- you know kind of transformation of life, purification of desire. It it seems like uh, uh, you were mentioning
4: the uh, comparative uh, practices as a a place of comparison. It seems like emotions can also be really a topic Uh for uh, for a comparison. You know, how does particular religious uh, tradition expresses or or feels a a love of God or, or submission?